Well, this morning we have the great privilege of having with us Josh Hugendorn. As, as you've been hearing by way of video from Josh, um, he and his wife Kimberly and their three daughters, they've been leading the Cairo Training Center, something we're very engaged with and very committed to as a church family. They've been leading that for, I believe, about five years now, and for about five years now, but they have recognized that while they followed God's leading and obedience to go, and they've been serving in Cairo, they recognize the new commission that really God has given them to go once again. And they're now going to be leading with their family, leading a church planting team into Oman, the country of Oman, not the city of Oman, but the country of Oman, um, to be able to, uh, be able to establish and, and plant a church and to lead Muslims to Jesus and to establish a local church led by locals that are there. And so we're very excited about that opportunity. And as I've shared with you as a church family, I really believe, just like the Cairo Center at the very beginning, that God put in front of us uh, an opportunity um, to partner with something at the ground level to be able to see kingdom advancement, kingdom fruit through that partnership, and we've seen that. As I shared last week, through the Cairo Center alone, I think, believe it's now 16 to 17 different countries um, have individuals actively serving in them who have gone through the Cairo Training Center. And I believe with this opportunity with Josh and the planning team that he'll be leading into Oman, that God is putting in front of us once again a great opportunity to partner with him in a groundbreaking work moving into the country of Oman. And so we'll be receiving that Miracle Missions offering a bit later in service. Um, but for now, I'm going to invite Josh. Josh is one of our own missionaries that we support on a monthly basis. So honored to have him with us. So please, once you give a warm State College Assembly welcome to Josh Hugendorn. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well. Um, if you open up your Bibles, we're going to jump right into the text that I'm going to be preaching from. It's John chapter 1 and uh, verse 14. Let me read it to you. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we've come together this morning uh, not to hear a message, Father, or to be together, but we have come to experience your presence. That's why we're here. Jesus, that's what sets us apart from every other ideology and every other religion in the earth is that we have fellowship with the presence of the living God. And so that's what we're asking for today. We're asking that you would come down and that you would fellowship and you would commune with us. And Jesus, I pray that you would help me to articulate what it is you've laid upon my heart, Father, and to do it in a way, Jesus, that shows every single person here what their part is in it as well. And so we just welcome your presence. We welcome your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I landed in Pittsburgh Friday night from Cairo. And for those of you who have had the joy of experiencing jet lag, uh, you'll understand that it takes maybe more than one or two days to get over. So I'm going to start by saying this. Uh, anything that is of worth that is said today, that is of value, that stirs your heart or encourages you or challenges you, that is definitely from the Holy Spirit and not from uh, my jet lag brain right now. Uh, the other side of that, though, is that if there is anything that offends you or that is not of worth, let's go ahead and chalk that up to jet lag. Uh, and so it's, it's a good place when a preacher neither gets the glory 
uh, or the honor for a good sermon, but also doesn't get the negativity if it ends up poorly. So uh, I'm just going to state that from the beginning. This is my second time to be with all of you here uh, in State College Assembly. The last time was when we were on itineration on furlough about two years ago. Uh, and since then, my family has grown. And so we have a picture of my family up here. Yeah, there they are. Uh, for, of course, my beautiful wife, Kimberly. Uh, we met in university. We were both part of Chi Alpha. That's kind of our background uh, in Texas. And the Lord brought us together there, called us into missions. We have my oldest daughter at the bottom, Hannah, who's six years old. She is our extrovert. She was one years old when we went to the mission field. She goes to a local uh, a school in Cairo right now. She's the only non-Arab. Uh, there are other non-Egyptians, but she's the only non-Arab there. She's also just a natural-born leader. And so I don't understand it, but wherever we go, people listen to her, even older kids and even older adults, and she gets them to do what she wants them to do. One day we were walking up to school to pick her up, and uh, we heard from the schoolyard uh, all of these kids singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You guys know this song. And we walked around the corner, and Hannah had gotten all of her classmates to sing this, this uh, wonderful song. So she's our leader. Uh, we've got Rebecca, who is, uh, she'll be four in April, our little redhead there in the middle. She was born in Cairo. That was our first uh, firstborn baby in Cairo. And uh, she's snuggly and likes to stay close to mama and all things girly. She wants to be a princess. She wants to wear bows and pink and purple. And then our last one, uh, our newest addition, is Abigail or Abby. And so she was also born in Cairo. She's 16 months year, years old. And uh, she, she, right now she's going through this phase where she is my best friend. So if I'm at home uh, and uh, when I come home from the office or from work, Wherever I'm at in the house, that is where she's at. So uh, it's, it's wonderful. So that's three girls. I'm trying to catch up to Pastor Steve. Um, but, so we got one more girl to go, and then the four boys. I'm not sure that we'll make it that far. But. So Pastor Steve said this. This summer is going to mark five years of our time in Cairo. And uh, it's been an incredible time there. The Lord has taught us a lot during our time there. Uh, we went there originally to do the training, just to be a part of the training team. And after about two years there, uh, our leadership, Dick, who was here with you guys last week, and uh, uh, one of our other leaders set us down in our living room, and they said, we really think that you guys should lead the Cairo training team. And uh, it was a shock to us because we'd only been on the field two years and didn't feel like we should be able to lead anything like that. But the Lord uh, confirmed that, and so, so we've been there almost five years now. Uh, I just want to kind of give you a few updates of what the Lord has done and is continuing to do in Cairo since you guys have been such faithful supporters of that. Uh, we have sent people out, like Pastor Steve said, to 16 different countries in the Arab world uh, from the Cairo training team. So we've got people in Morocco there right now that have come out of Cairo. We've got a team that's getting ready to go into Algeria. It'll be the first team that we've had in Algeria. Uh, we've got people in Tunisia. We've got a church planting team in Libya. We've got people that are getting ready to go into the Egyptian Delta where there's about 40 million people, 40 million 
uh, very unreached, very unengaged going in there, very rural as well. Uh, we also have a CP team that has launched in Cairo right next to the training team, and they are using Facebook and media outreach. Very, very exciting. They're able to reach literally millions of people uh, through media, and then we narrow those results down and meet with these people face-to-face. Most Muslims, when they begin to have questions, they don't go to their imam or their sheikh or their mom or their dad because they won't get answers about Jesus. So what do they do? They use trusty Google or trusty Facebook, and so they make a search, and, uh, and we're there ready to meet them. We also have a CP team going to Lebanon. We've got a CP team right next to the border of Yemen, one in Bahrain, teams in Iraq. We're spreading out all over. The Lord is really answering that dream, that vision that was born uh, so many years ago through Live Dead and going into the different areas of the Arab world. Although our primary function at the training team is to train, obviously, uh, we don't see it as a you train now and you plant the church later. We see it that you plant the church as you train. And so uh, oftentimes what happens is we have people that come to the training team and we encourage them, you share, you get into community, you get into culture, you get into relationships, and you use whatever Arabic word you learn that week to share the gospel. And so as time goes by, obviously they get into one year of Arabic and they get better at sharing. And then two years, and they get really good at Arabic, but then it's time for them to go to a church planning team. And so usually we don't have uh, people that get very far in relationships. But recently, it seems like the Lord has been stirring and has been working among the relationships that our team members have. And so about three weeks ago, we saw two young ladies, two young Muslim ladies that gave their hearts to Jesus and were baptized. Uh, One of them was a girl named Jasmine, and uh, she met a member of our team named Christina, and they had been friends for almost three years. And so during these three years, they lived life life together. Uh, They had a lot of cups of tea, a lot of cups of coffee. Uh, They spent time at each other's houses. They took even vacation together. Uh, They they met each other's family as Christina's family came and visited them in Egypt. And uh, recently, Christina's married, and so they had their first baby, and that baby was born in Cairo. His name is Gideon. And so this young Muslim girl, Jasmine, got to be a part of that. And as they spent all this life together... There were moments of transparency. There were conversations about the gospel. There were countless prayers that Christina offered up to God on behalf of Jasmine in front of her, and then also after they had left and had conversations about the gospel. And eventually there was a Bible study that happened that led Jasmine to the truth of the gospel and eventually to her confession that Jesus is deity and this baptism. The other lady that was baptized, named Fatima, uh, was met by another woman on our team. It was actually a a woman on our leadership team named Sabina. And we had taken a leadership outing to one of the local malls. We went out just to have fellowship together and to be together. And Sabina met this young lady, Fatima. And uh, they became friends. They hit it off right away. And so she invited Fatima and her husband over to their house, and they would have meals together and a relationship formed, so they would have them over often, and conversations would happen, and the gospel would be brought up. And uh, as she began to know Fatima more, she, Fatima opened up to her and said, listen, uh, I'm questioning Islam because she has cancer. 
And through all of the pain that was happening from her cancer, and she was also having uncontrolled bleeding because of the cancer, she began to question Islam and say, why would God allow me to go through this? So Sabina used that opportunity and shared the gospel with her, and Fatima was convinced and said, yes, this is the truth. And so both of them went to become baptized. Jasmine, the, uh, the, the first lady I told you about, she was the first one baptized. And we did this not in a baptismal like you would imagine or in some open body of water, but actually in a kiddie pool in the front room of one of our team members' houses because of security, of course. And uh, so Jasmine was baptized by one of our Egyptian Christian background believers that we work with. And then she turned around and she baptized Fatima. Now, we do this because we try to take our hands off of the movement as quickly as we can. Some of you know the scripture reference where Paul says, you know, I baptized so-and-so, but other than that, I don't know if I baptized anybody else. And he's saying that because it doesn't matter who baptizes them as long as they are baptized by a believer and in faith. And we also want them to learn that this is your church. This is your people that you're leading to Christ. And so we do that very quickly. And uh, so Jasmine fat, uh, baptized Fatima. And they both said that as they felt they baptized, as they were baptized, they felt this very strong, very surreal, very present presence of the Lord. They felt power as they were baptized. And so we are thanking the Lord for that. We're seeing some incredible, incredible things happen. I just want to ask you, to pray for these two young ladies. Uh, after today, as you go home, uh, maybe during this next week, maybe even make a note in your Bible. We want Jasmine to continue to grow bold. We want her to baptize more people. We want her to baptize thousands of people. We want to see a church planting movement happen. I also want you to pray for Fatima because Fatima is married and her uh, husband has been very tolerant of her uh, kind of seeking the gospel, but ever since she's been baptized, he's become very hardened and very harsh to her. And so I've been praying this over him, uh, the, the prayer that when Joseph sought to divorce Mary after he found that she was pregnant, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, this is of me. And I've just been praying, Lord, would you appear to this man and show him that this work is of you? Would you pray that as well? Mark that in your Bibles or take a note. One more, one more story that's quite incredible. Just almost a week ago, another one of our team members, his name's Alvin, he was going to meet up with two other of our team members for accountability. Uh, and so part of our team, uh, team responsibilities and team roles is we have them meet up once a week and share and pray together what the Lord's been speaking to them or what they're having trouble with. And so Alvin was going to meet up with him, and he was 30 minutes early. And uh, so he's, he gets out of the taxi, and he waits on the side of the road, and he's thinking, what am I going to do for 30 minutes? And he notices out of the corner of his eye just a young Egyptian guy, Muhammad, sitting at a cafe. And so he felt, he said, the Holy Spirit just say, go talk to that man. And so uh, he, does what, he does what, uh, or he did what some of us often do, which is to kind of go, okay, Lord, is this really you? Do you really want me to just go talk to this guy? And uh, eventually he said, okay, I'll do it. So he goes over and he says, hi. And he begins to talk to Muhammad. 
and uh, he uses the Arabic that he's been learning. Alvin's only been with us about six months, so he's saying things like sabah which is good morning, and Zayek, how are you, and my name is so-and-so. And then he realizes, uh, oh, okay, Muhammad actually speaks English very well, so he begins to speak to him in English. And so he says, what, what are you doing here, Muhammad? And he says, well, Alvin, I actually have a problem. And so Alvin said, well, what, what's your problem, Muhammad? He said, well, I'm, I'm here to try to find my wife. Uh, two days ago, we had an argument, and uh, a big argument, and she left. And I actually live in another city, but uh, I work there. And so when I come back, you know, we live together, we're married. But uh, she hasn't talked to me in two days. So she, he said, I know that she works in this part of town, so I came here to try to find her. So he said, what, what should I do? And so Alvin, you know, was just thinking, okay, well, you should buy her some flowers. You know, that'll fix it. So he said, you should go over there. There's a flower store. Buy some flowers. Buy some candy. Um, go surprise her after work, and, and that'll kind of patch it up. And so uh, as they talked more and more, uh, Alvin began to bring up spiritual things. He said, are you, uh, now this was, a, this is a funny question. When you, when you meet somebody named Muhammad, you assume that they're Muslim. But Alvin said, Muhammad, are you a Muslim? And he said, well, of course. My name is Muhammad. And so... Uh, we do that, though, because it gets you right into spiritual conversation. And so we kind of play dumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course you're Muhammad. And so he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Muslim, but I'm not very religious. I don't really follow everything, but, yeah, of course I'm Muslim. And so Alvin then began to share. He said, you know, I'm a Christian. And then uh, he began to share his testimony a little bit. And so the more and more that he talked to Muhammad, the more he realized that there were some things going on in Muhammad's heart. And Muhammad began to tell him, he said, you know, I, I, maybe I should become more religious because I have done some very bad things, some very bad things. And so Alvin pressed him, well, what, what have you done that's very bad? And he said, you know, I, I've, I'm just not a good husband, and, uh, and I'm also, I've done drugs. And he began to tell him that, that he's done heroin and marijuana, and uh, he's done some other things. And so Alvin, Alvin has a testimony of being delivered from drug addiction, and so he began to share and Alvin said that as he shared his testimony, that he just felt this very strong sense of the presence of God come down. And now, mind you, they're sitting in a cafe on the side of the street in busy Cairo where there's 25 million people. People are walking back and forth. And so he begins to share with him. He says, Muhammad, Jesus can forgive you. Jesus loves you. Jesus can wipe away all of these bad things, and he can make you a new person and give you a new heart. And as he says those things, Muhammad just begins to weep. They're sitting in the side of the road on this cafe, and he said tears just begin to fall down his face. And so then Alvin took another step, and he's told him the story of blind Bartimaeus, where Bartimaeus comes up to Jesus, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? And so he told him that story, and he said, Muhammad, Jesus, just like in that story, is present right here. And he's looking at you and he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And so he said he's sitting there. The guy's Muhammad is still crying. He's still bawling. His, his, his tears are falling down from his eyes. And finally, he clears his throat to speak. And he just says, I want out of my life. I want out of my life. And he said, as he said that, he said, Alvin said he just felt another wave of the presence of God just fall. And that guy just knelt his, his head down 
and tears and then snot just began to pour out because he was just bawling. And people are walking by and begin to notice. And as they do, the gentleman takes out his sunglasses and he puts them on so that people won't see that he's crying. So Alvin continues and he says, Muhammad, Jesus can forgive you and he wants to. And he can take you out of your life and change it. But you have to ask him into yours. You have to ask him to come into your life. You have to ask him to forgive you. You have to ask him to change your heart. And he said, and when you do that, it means that he will be your Lord, that he will be your God. And he said, do you want to do this? Do you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart and be God? And so for a while, they just sat there, tears still streaming down his face. And eventually Muhammad said, yes, I want to. And so Alvin began to lead him through a prayer. He said, you know, Muhammad, repeat after me. And so he leads him through the sinner's prayer. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want a new heart. I want a clean heart. And I want you to come into my life, and I want you to change me and be my Lord. And so they sat there, and he prayed that prayer. And uh, Alvin looks up, and his two accountability partners are standing across the street looking at him going, what is going on over there? And so Alvin had some scripture on him in Arabic, so he pulled it out and he gave it to Muhammad and he got his number and he said, I want you to read this because it explains more about who Jesus is and how he can be with you. And then he said, and I want to meet up with you uh, tomorrow, but I want you to call me tonight. And so then he leaves and Alvin goes to his accountability group and tells them what has happened and they begin to pray for this man. 45 minutes later, Muhammad calls him and he says, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did. I have never felt this good. I've never felt this free, like a weight has been lifted off my back. And then 15 minutes later, Alvin got another text message, same thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did. In the last three weeks, three people have come to Christ. Incredible. I want you to continue to pray for those two young ladies and also pray for Muhammad because the tough part is about to come where he has to walk through persecution and telling his people about Jesus. When we look at the world today and we look at the state of it in regards to the gospel, in regards to missions, we see that almost 40%, some people will say 30%, but almost 40% live in such a way that they do not have access to the gospel. That means there are no Christians living next to them. There are not readily accessible resources about who Jesus is. There's no churches. There aren't Bibles that they can get a hold of. Internet sites are blocked. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations of what that means. But I want to kind of paint a picture for you this morning what we mean when we say unreached people groups. And I want to read a quote to you first so that it can help us paint our picture. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. He's saying that the duty of the Christian, the duty of the believer is to tell those people that have not heard the gospel to tell them the gospel. Each and every one of our responsibilities is to tell the people in front of us that Jesus has come for them and that he loves them and he died for them. 
Now, there are a lot of different places in the world that have lots of access to the gospel and those that don't have access to the gospel. How I want to illustrate that for you this morning is by this picture. If you would imagine with me, I know it's a strange imagination, but imagine with me the gates of hell. Gigantic gates, overwhelming, huge. And imagine over this side, this is one side of the gates of hell, and you have uh, the parts of the world that the, the gospel is not opposed. In other words, there is access to the gospel. There's freedom of expression, freedom of religion. There's freedom to ask questions. There are churches. There are local believers. There are many different forms of gospel witness, right? Radio, uh, television, printed literature, websites. You've got specialty ministries for college students and drug addicts and sex workers and, uh, and prison ministries. You've got youth ministries and kids ministries. You name it, we got it. So you've got this side of the gates of hell where these people are streaming, but in front of them you have a large number of Christians warning them, reaching out to them. The masses are streaming towards that side, but they're met by an army of Christians, an army of believers, different resources, different strategies to reach them. Now, I'll be the first to say that not everyone in that group of people trying to reach the lost are all on the same page. They all have theological differences and methodology differences, but nonetheless, that area of the world is flooded with light. Now, I want you to imagine with me here the other side, the other gate of hell. And this side represents those people that live in places where the gospel is opposed, where it's discredited, where it's actively spoken against. These places have both government and societal and cultural laws that prevent people from accepting the gospel. It's hard to find a Bible in their own language. The gospel is not present there or not accessible. There aren't local Christians or local churches. Television and radio programs that are so prevalent here are not available in those places. There aren't the number of special speciality ministries that we have. They don't exist in those places. And when you look over here, at this area of the world streaming towards the gates of hell. You don't have an army that's meeting to, that's, that's waiting there to meet these people, to warn them and to pray for them like you do in these other parts of the world. Instead, you have a thin, maybe even incomplete line of people there who, who have big gaps between them. And they're trying to warn and they're trying to implore people not to go to that eternity without Jesus. These are the unreached. These are those without the access to the gospel that so many of us have. I want you to think for one second, how many times have you heard a gospel message? How many times have you heard Pastor Steve get up and give an invitation to salvation and ask you to come up front? So many times there are people in the world who've never heard it once. Think about how many times someone has prayed for you specifically, laid hands on you and prayed for you, or you've had a praying mother or a praying grandmother or a praying father, and there are people in this world who've never been prayed for once in the name of Jesus. They don't have the information. They don't have the resources that we have. They don't have the books. They don't have the Bibles. They don't have the television or radio programs. They don't have the believers. This has been something that, that the Lord used to call us to the mission field. And uh, when we 
went to Cairo. Actually, our intention was to go to Oman. We had left Chi Alpha, thinking that was what the Lord was going to use us for for the rest of our lives, and we were headed to Oman. And then this thing, Live Dead, happened, and everybody went to Cairo. And so the Lord sent us there, and we went there through our training thinking the whole time, we're going to go to Oman, and we are going to tell the unreached of Oman, the three and a half million people there, about Jesus because no one else will tell them. In fact, I went there on a short-term trip, and the Lord used that trip to call me and my family there. And while we were there, uh, I realized that if I gave up doing Chi Alpha, that eventually somebody else would probably take my place. But if I didn't go to the mission field, if I didn't go to the Middle East, if I didn't go to Oman, there weren't people waiting in line to take my place for that. <clears throat> Oman is an interesting place. It's one of three sultanates in the world. It's known for its hospitality, its neutrality in political matters. They're known as the Switzerland of the Middle East. And uh, they're one of the main exporters of frankincense in the world. And some people think that's where the frankincense that Jesus received as a, as a baby came from. Oman is also known for being one of the first nations in the world to receive Islam from Muhammad. They pride themselves in that. They say to be an Omani is to be Muslim. They'll tell you there are no non-Muslim Omanis. Later, they're very well known for becoming traders and seafarers. Sinbad the sailor is said to be Omani. And they took, actually, Islam from the peninsula to Indonesia and to Southeast Asia. And all of the Islamic presence there started from Oman. For almost 1,300 years, there has been a lack of a gospel presence in Oman. And in the Arabian Peninsula, where Islam began, it still continues to be the seat of power. I told the story in the video about Bishop French. A man named McKay was in Uganda, and he was there and preaching the gospel, and he encountered some Omani uh, traders. And as he would witness to the Ugandan king and the Ugandan leaders, these Omani traders would, would stand up in front of him and, and denounce Christianity. And then they would say, you'll come here and you'll preach to people who worship idols, but don't you dare come to Oman because you know that your gospel, that your message, your religion cannot take hold in the seat of power of Islam. And so he was provoked. And so he sent out that famous letter back to England, and he said, I'm calling for five young men, the best and the brightest that we have to offer to go to the seat of Islam, the center of it, and pioneer a gospel work. Let's take it at its source. And as that call went out, you heard the story. No one answered. No one stood up. And so Bishop French, at the age of 60, already having spent a lifetime of service in India, said, if no one else will go, I will go. So he went. He passed away after only a few months in Oman, but he holds the title of the first missionary into Muscat. 130 years later, here we are. This call is still the same, sadly. We need the best. We need the brightest who will go to the seat of Islam and pioneer gospel work for it. Over and over and over again, what needs to happen is the word to become flesh. The word to become flesh. Our scripture that we talked about this morning. You see Jasmine and Fatima, 
and Muhammad, they got to hear the gospel because the word became flesh to them. Christina became the word of God in the flesh to Fatima. Sabina became the word of God in the flesh to Jasmine. Alvin became the word of God in the flesh to Muhammad. Over and over again throughout history, God has used different things to speak, right? We look in our Bibles and we see that he spoke through a burning bush. We look in the Bible and we see that at one point he became a hand and wrote on the wall. He's used dreams. He's used visions. He's used angels. But when he wanted to reveal himself in a way that was full and that in a way that people could relate to and see the fullness of the presence of God, what did he do? He put on flesh. And he came down and he dwelt among us and we saw the glory of God. That is still his method. That is still his preferred uh, way of communicating the gospel to people. Missions has changed a lot and will continue to change in its forms. Used to, you could simply show up in a country and say, listen, I'm a missionary. I'd like a missionary visa and I'd like to build a church or dig a water well and then tell people about Jesus, and they would allow you to do that. Those were different ways that missionaries would have the word of God put on flesh for people. But guess what? Now we can't do that. I can't go to Oman and say, I would like a missionary visa. They will say, thank you for coming to Oman. There's the next plane, and uh, go back to wherever you came from because we are Muslim here. I can't show up and dig a water well. They don't need that. I can't show up and build a church. And so our way of gaining access into the country, as I shared, is a new way. We've got to have a business. We've got to show up, and we've got to have a creative way to get into the country and have the Word of God put on flesh. Listen, I, I could sit here and tell you that we have a very good business plan, and we do for all of you businessmen and businesswomen out there. We've done our due diligence. We've researched the thing that we're going to go into. We've done all of our uh, financial strategy. We've got all of these things figured out. But I don't want you this morning when we take up an offering in a little bit to give because we have a good sound financial strategy. I don't want you to think that you're giving to a business or that you're giving uh, for uh, something that doesn't seem very missional. What you're giving to is you're giving for us to have a chance to let the word of God put on flesh and stand before the Omani people and offer the gospel. You're helping us to have dinner with Omanis and have a chance to bring up gospel conversations. You're helping us to have Omanis over to our house when we have birthday parties for our children and be able to preach the gospel there. You're helping us to uh, have a way into the country where people look at us and they say, wow, that person is a very respectable businessman, and they love Jesus, and they've never met a Christian before. You're helping us to have access to the gospel, just like maybe you had given to a water well, or you had given to a church building, or you had given to somebody that's putting on a crusade. It's the same thing. We're just trying to put flesh on the Word of God in front of these people. As I bring us to kind of a close this morning, I want to have a chance for you to respond if the Lord has been speaking to you. I'm a big proponent, obviously, of strategic engagement of those places that don't have access to the gospel. 
And uh, even in the picture that I painted for you with the gates of hell, sometimes we can look at that and we can just think, man, our land is flooded with light or there are people that, that have so much opportunity for access to the gospel and it can take the responsibility off of our hearts and off of our minds to get, engage in our own communities and preach the gospel. There is imperative in the Bible that each and every single one of you, you have a responsibility to, to become the word of God and put on flesh for people in your community, people that you work with, that you go to school with, that you live next to. And it's easy, very easy to love and pray for and be motivated for people who don't have the gospel in a far off land. But maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's saying, you are to become the word of God in the flesh for people in your community, in your neighborhoods, in your work. And I don't have to tell this to you. We live in a broken world. And people try to get away from that brokenness in many different ways. They try to fill it with success, with money, with drugs, with alcohol, with relationships. And all of that broken thing, all those things they try to fill the brokenness with, what it usually does is it just ends up bringing them back to that brokenness. So there's two types of people in this world. Those that have Jesus and have begun to escape that brokenness and those that haven't. And you and I's responsibility is to go to those broken people and invite them to wholeness in Jesus, to allow the word of God to dwell in us and come out of us. Just because the people in your community have churches and Bibles and access to gospel presentations and content doesn't mean that they have had the word of God actually become flesh to them. And the heartbeat of God, we all know this, is to love the lost. And when you begin to love the lost, you begin to understand more and more about God. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. When you begin to reach out to lost people, you align yourselves with God's work. And maybe your quiet time that's been dry or the Bible hasn't been alive to you, but when you begin to share the gospel and try to live the gospel out in front of lost people, it becomes alive because God begins to use you and wants to use you because you're aligning yourselves with his heart. Maybe you've heard of a man named David Wilkerson. He's best known for founding Teen Challenge and his book, The Cross and the Switchblade. And uh, he was a pastor here in Pennsylvania for some years. He recounts a time when he had all of these services where there were gifts of the Spirit that moved. He often would see prophecy. He often would see word of knowledge. Um, but one day he was praying and, and he was kind of, he was sad because he said, God, I see these gifts of the Spirit, prophecy and words of knowledge and even healings, but I'm not seeing anybody come to Christ. I'm not seeing people become saved. And so God said, what do you want me to do, David? What do you want from me? And so he prayed a prayer. He said, I want you to give me supernatural faith for souls. Faith for souls, to see people come to Christ. Shortly after that, only a few months, was when he saw the Times magazine cover about all of the gangs and the, the rampant drug use in New York, and the Lord put it on his heart to go there. And he began to win people to Christ that people thought were unwinnable. He began to win people to Jesus and have faith to see them come to Christ. And people had uh, said, you can't reach them. 
he reflects on that and he says that was a turning point in his life. It's a turning point in his life. I want to challenge you today, of course, for missions. I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord to intercede and to send people into the nations. And some of you even have a stirring, even a calling to go overseas. But those of you who are here to stay, those of you who are going to stay in this community, those of you who are the prayers and the senders, you still have this wonderful, uh, not just responsibility, but wonderful uh, uh, ability to reach out to your community and have the Word of God become flesh in your life and reach people. You can be the person like Christina was to Jasmine to have cups of tea and to share the gospel. You could sit at Starbucks with your friends and have a relationship with them. You can have them over to your house and share the gospel. You could be like Alvin and go and just, as the Holy Spirit pricks your heart, go and say hello and begin a conversation that obviously was a divine appointment from God. But that takes intentionality on your part, and that takes a recognition that you are here to become the Word of God in the flesh. So I'm going to close with this in prayer. I want each and every one of you to begin to think of someone in your life that you interact with daily, that the Lord has obviously placed in your path for you to share the gospel with. And then I want you to begin to ask the Lord and say, how can I share the word of God with this person? How can I pray for them? How can I meet their need? How can I become a friend to them and lead them to the path of eternal life? And then as you react to that, if the Lord places somebody on your mind, I want you specifically to come up here and figuratively bend at the altar, literally bend at the altar and figuratively put that person before the Lord and say, Jesus, help me. Give me faith for souls. Help me to see these people come to Christ. Jesus, we love you. When we open your word and when we hear messages from you, God, the, the potential is incredible, Father. And uh, whether my words have been enough, Jesus, or not enough, you can use the small, you can use the great. And so we pray, Father, that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts today, Jesus. Stir each of us for missions. Stir each of us, Lord God, for the unreached that are out there, Father, that are across the seas, Jesus. But we also pray that you would break us for the lost, would you break us, Lord Jesus, for the people that live next to us, that are our neighbors, that work with us, Lord Jesus, that we go to class with? Would you put that person in our heart, Father? Would you help us to pray for them? Would you give us creative ways to share the gospel with them, Lord Jesus? Would you help us to become the word of God that puts on flesh so that the glory of God can be known? Jesus, would you just begin to put that person, those people on our hearts and on our minds right now? Bring their faces and their names to us, God. And we pray, Jesus, that as we come up to the front and lay them at your feet, that you would do a supernatural work in their life. Jesus, that you would give us boldness to open up our mouth, God. You would give us wisdom. You would give us maturity, Jesus, to share the gospel and to realize we have this precious responsibility to lead the lambs of God, Father, back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.